Well, good morning. It is a good morning to be together, and it is a good morning for us to glorify our God in song and to remember His Son who died on the cross for us through the memorial meal we just partook together. So glad we can do that together. I want to join in welcoming our visitors. So glad that you're here with us, and we're glad that you're taking part in a great worship service to God. I pray that you're edified, and I pray that God is glorified in what we do today. Today we are continuing our Spring Spotlight. And we have been growing in faith as we seek this year to grow in Christ. Uh, So last week, we looked at growing in the Word of God. That's what Tim took us through. And the week before, David showed us growing in faith in the existence of our God. And so today, we focus on growing in the cross. As we look at the cross and we believe in the cross and it changes how we live. And just as a preview of the next two weeks, next week we'll be growing in faith towards the resurrection, and then the week after will be our final week as we grow in faith towards the return of Jesus. We've got a lot of look forward to. We have a lot of places we can grow in faith. So as we look at our growing in faith in the cross, I just want to say we're not looking at the history of the evidence that the cross happened as an event. There's a lot of really exciting evidence of that, and if you have questions about that, please Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Instead, today, we're really looking at the why of the cross and understanding what it means for us and how it changes us and who it turns us into. The cross is one of the most important moments in all of, the, all of history. Jesus dying on the cross changed everything in the world forever. We wouldn't be here today without the cross. America wouldn't be founded today without the cross, at least in the way that it was. Everything has changed because of Jesus dying on the cross. And so we're looking at one of the most significant events. And so we're going to make a case today for faith in the cross, and then we'll end with some practical lessons for us. There are a number of assumptions that people make who don't have faith in the cross. And the first one is that the cross is only meaningful for those who believe. It's only important if you're a Christian. And so that's an assumption that we'll talk about here to begin with. For many, the cross is just a symbol. It's a crucifix that they wear around their neck. It's a tattoo that they have on their arm. It's not the world-changing event that Jesus has. So in other words, many say, I don't need the cross. When they see it in front of them, when they see Jesus on the cross, they don't know what that's about. So we're going to start today with the necessary foundation of the cross. And that's the question, do we need it? Do we need the cross in our lives today? And so to see our needs for the cross, turn to Romans chapter 3. We'll be in Romans chapter 3 in just a moment. Because if we're going to grow in faith towards the cross, we have to start with knowing why we need the cross. Paul is answering a question in the book of Romans. This question, is the cross needed? Romans was written to Jews and Gentiles who were trying to understand their relationship with Jesus Christ and their relationship with each other towards Jesus Christ. They're trying to make sense of the world. So in chapter 1, Paul is writing about the Gentiles. God's wrath has been revealed because of their sin. The world is not responded to the goodness of God, and God is responding in wrath. They were ungodly. They were living in purity and in sin. But before the Jewish readers could get too excited, that, oh, the Gentiles are wrong, and we've got the upper hand, chapter 2, 
comes along and Paul focuses on them. They are sinful people too. And Paul says this in verse 23, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Jews and Gentiles both are guilty of sin and are separated from God. And so let's see where Paul builds to the conclusion of this in chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Paul answers this by saying everyone has sin in their life. And everyone needs the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no part that is um, going to be separated from this need. Everyone has the cross. This is not just a Jewish problem, sin. This is not just a Gentile problem. This is not just an American problem. This is a problem that we can all attest that we share, that we have sin. And so we see our need for the cross. And so what can be done about this? Because for a long time, humanity lived in sin. For the Jews, animal sacrifices were made in the Old Testament to appease God and to remove the guilt of the sinner. But that system was not a perfect one. The writer of Hebrews says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And the Gentiles couldn't overcome sin either. There was no lasting solution to overcome sin in their lives. And the consequences for sin were severe. Paul tells of that in Romans 6 and verse 23. You know it. The wages of sin are death. We've got a serious problem here in front of us. We have a serious problem that we are all sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, and it requires an answer. Are you seeing our need for the cross? And today, people don't always see their need for the cross either. Because the prevailing message in our world today is you're okay the way you are. We've heard that, haven't we? You don't need to change your life. You don't need forgiveness. God just wants you to be happy. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. There is an ongoing message that the devil has shared with our world that removes the power of the cross from the minds of people. We've got to begin today by seeing our need to have our sins removed. We are guilty, we are sinful, and we need help. Thanks be to God for the cross. So to answer the question, do I need the cross? The answer is a desperate yes. We need Jesus on the cross. Of course we need the cross. We know we're a sinful people. We know our hopelessness if we don't have a Savior. We will be lost forever without God's intervention on our behalf. And so, we have nowhere to go but to cry out to God to save us through His Son Jesus on the cross. And so, for all of our sins to be answered for and removed and death to be conquered, it required a perfect answer. And we find that in the cross. So, we need to answer the question, why did Jesus need to die on the cross? Well, the first thing that we see is it was the plan of God. I mean, we've seen already that 
sin had to be answered for. We know the justice of God. We know that He is a righteous God, holy, set apart from the wickedness of this world. There is none like Him because He is perfect in every way. So our imperfection, our sin, has to be removed for us to be reconciled with Him. He cannot be connected with sin. And so we know that about our God. He has to make it right for us to have a relationship with Him. And so the first part of the reason we see that is it is His plan. Firstly, we see that we have faith in the cross because God planned this from the beginning. Chapter 5 and verse 8 of, of Romans. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is not something that happened in the spur of a moment. This is not something that was uh, off the cuff. This was an ongoing plan that Christ would die for us as sinners and bring us to God. This isn't a death that just happened. This was an intentional sacrifice. If it wasn't an intentional sacrifice, it wouldn't have been the saving act that we have come to believe in. It wouldn't have been the work of God if this had happened by mistake. But God planned for it to happen. So we see how God planned to have this happen. In the beginning of time, God had a plan for sin to be answered for. We know Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden, and they were instructed to work and to cultivate the garden, but they had one thing they were not allowed to do. Do not eat of the tree that I have commanded you not to eat. But of course, what did they do? They ate of the tree that they were commanded not to. They Sinned. They went against the will of God, and God had an answer for that from the beginning. There will be one who comes who will crush the head of the serpent. Right there, God doesn't waste any time telling us that He's got a plan to overcome this evil that has entered the world. He tells us that He has a plan for what will answer the wickedness of mankind. There was a plan for sin to be defeated. Paul says it like this in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Thanks be to God that he had a plan to overcome sin. That Adam's sin and Eve's sin didn't ruin things for us forever. But God had a perfect answer to solve an imperfect world that had been removed from him. We have a plan in front of us that we can see. And so we see that the cross was not an accident. It was not a mistake. It was something that we built to. And there are so many sacrifices that point us throughout the Old Testament to the cross of Jesus Christ. We talked about this briefly on Wednesday night. In every generation of the Old Testament, there is something that points them to the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 tells of a coming servant of God. And in chapter 53, it tells of that suffering of that servant. And it says it like this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. God has been telling us of a coming Christ, 
a coming sacrificial lamb that will take away our sins. And he has shown that to every person along the way until the cross of Christ. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, where he calls Jesus our Passover lamb. Takes us all the way back to the Exodus, where the original Passover lamb was a symbol of God's freeing them from slavery in Egypt. And now we have a greater Passover lamb that frees us all from the slavery of sin. God has been showing us his plan every day until Jesus came. God has been showing us his plan. God shows us his plan in Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews was written because there there were many who were neglecting the great salvation of Jesus. It says that in chapter 2 and verse 3. That's the beginning of chapter 2. So the entire book of Hebrews is a case for people to see their need for the salvation of Jesus Christ and continue in Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 9 through 11, we see the plan of Jesus, the plan of God through Jesus on the cross. Starting in verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting, underline, highlight, circled that word, fitting, we're going to come back to that, that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who he sanctifies, uh, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He had a plan to bring about about this salvation. And the writer of Hebrews says that it is fitting. Fitting is a word to show that this is the perfect plan. It was appropriate. It was needed. It was exact for everything that it needed to be to save our sins. To save us from our sins, rather. So let's see the parts of the plan. First, it says that he was perfected through sufferings. Now, Hebrews emphasizes more than any other New Testament book the sinlessness of Jesus. So what does it mean for Jesus to have been perfected through sufferings? It certainly doesn't mean that he had sins that had to be answered for in himself. But what it does show us is that he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus was made perfect because he came into this world and overcame all the temptations, all the sin, and was perfect in doing so. What it means is, before Jesus was untested, by human suffering. And when he came into this earth as a man for the purpose of dying on the cross for our sins, he was perfect every step of the way. He met the plan of God. He was fitting in what he did. In other words, this plan of salvation only works if Jesus is perfect. And Jesus came and lived a life that was perfect. He resisted every temptation. He met every moment with compassion. He gave mercy. He showed kindness, patience, and love 
Jesus was perfect in every way he could have been on this earth. And that is shown most perfectly on the cross. So there's another part of that in Hebrews chapter 2 that we see as a result. And that is the reconciliation of the plan. Because you've noticed in verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory, and then in verse 11, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus came not just so he could die on the cross as an experiment of some kind of God, but it was an outreach to us to make us right in his sight, to bring us into a relationship. Do you see what it calls us there? Sons and brothers. We are children. We are siblings. We are brought close because of what Jesus has done here. The garden ended in separation where Adam used to walk with God and used to be close with God and know God, it ended with them being cast out. Jesus brings about that relationship once again where we can walk with God, be close with God, have a relationship with God. The sin in the garden is answered for. It has always been about bringing us back to God. God has always had that in mind. That has always been his plan. So why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because he needed to bring us back. The cross is the plan of God, and we have a God who has perfect wisdom in bringing it about. But God also shows us more of himself while he gives his son for us. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because it shows the love of God. Again, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it said, But God shows his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love is an essential part of this plan. It wasn't just a scheme that God hatched that was distant or anything that was impersonal. It was a loving plan where God, every step of the way, wanted to make sure that we were received back. We only receive this great plan of salvation because God has shown a great love towards us. So we can have a faith in the cross because of the love that it represents. God's love was so great for us that he was willing to send his only son to die for us on the cross. I mean, we know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the love we see in the cross. And the cross is a powerful reminder of the depth of God's love for us. And it is this love that gives us hope and confidence in our salvation. And this is illustrated in many different ways. We see the love of God demonstrated throughout the perfect life of love that Jesus led. Jesus reacted with compassion to those who needed him. He healed And he helped. He welcomed the outcast. He served the sinner. Jesus was the perfect example of love during his life on this earth. And he taught about that perfect love as was shown throughout his ministry. Perhaps the most clearly shown is through the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus told a story that typically would have ended in shame and rejection and punishment and casting out that younger son who had rejected his father but he changes the end of the story and flips the expectations for what God is going to do for all of us. That we are not sent away. We are brought in because he has run to us in a moment of loving reconciliation. 
we know what is coming because of how Jesus shared his love for us in his ministry. And of course, the culmination, the perfection of this is showed on the cross. That Jesus showed us that he loved us through the cross more powerfully and clearly than anywhere else. I mean, there are a lot of ways that we see Jesus show his love for us. Matthew chapter 10 tells us that he knows the hairs on our head. That's how he loves us. Isaiah 59 has a prophecy that he loves us so much that he's engraved our names on the palm of his hand. He has not forgotten us. He remembers us. He knows us so much so that he engraves our name on the palm of his hand. But the cross is the place where we see the love of God perfectly above all others. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, this is why I started with our need for the cross. We know our sin and we know our failures. We can't begin to understand God's love for us in the cross until we see how unlovable we have been. God's love overcomes all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our fears. We are forgiven because God loves us through the cross. And so we know. I mean, let's see. Romans 5 verse 8 again. This verse is a gold mine. It's our third time already referencing this verse. While we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Paul shows us how unlovable we are when Christ dies for us. He says it even more strongly later in the chapter. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The love of God reaches all of us. So we know that even the most unlovable sinner, the vilest offender, can be saved through the cross. So today, if you're feeling unlovable, if you're feeling like the grace of God can't reach you, let the text tell you that you're wrong. That the grace of God can reach every one of us at our lowest moments and turn us around, transform us into the kind of people God wants us to be. Praise be to God. We have a God who loves us despite who we are. We have a God who loves us. So how can you grow in faith towards the cross? You need to know that you're saved. Trusting God that He has redeemed you and brought you out of what you once were and brought you into what you can be through His design for us so long ago. That's what we see in the cross. But why else did Jesus have to die on the cross? It shows us the path of Jesus to glory. Part of the cross is not even about us. Part of the cross is what God is doing on, for Jesus, that he is exalting Jesus, glorifying Jesus. One thing you may have noticed as we've read so many passages about the cross is that glory seems to sneak into all of them. It's everywhere. The glory of Jesus is there. Romans chapter 5 and verse 2. 
Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God and then goes on to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus reaching even sinners. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We just read Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. We see him who was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Glory is the result of the cross. Jesus is lifted up on the cross and shamed. And as a result, God lifts him up in honor and glory forever. This is the, the result, one of the many results of the cross. You know, the glory being found in the cross is the complete opposite of what the world would expect. It's completely backwards from a worldly standpoint. During our sermon at the 915 worship service, we talked about how the rejectors of, cross, of the cross saw it as foolishness. They saw the cross and they couldn't wrap their heads around how it could be anything good. They even saw the shame of the cross and they took that to mean couldn't be anything good. But the cross is turned on its head. There is a glorious death that happened here. But in our standpoint, our worldly way of looking at it, if you wanted a, world, a glorious death, it would either be a death at the end of a long life full of accomplishments, where you're surrounded by people who love you and respect you. Or it might be a death in battle where you have gained the honor for your country or your family as you have fought to the death. Those would have been our ways that we would have chosen a glorious death. We would have lived a life that had been honorable by our world standards. You would have a huge funeral with people surrounding you and mourners everywhere. It would be an event. So why didn't Jesus live a perfect life and die at 100 years old, surrounded by so many followers with banners lifted up for his name? because God had a different path for him to be glorified. Here's the death of Jesus. His disciples left him. He was alone. He was surrounded by mockers. He was mocked, beaten, and crucified besides criminals. There was no glory in the death on the cross by our standard. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we can see the glory of the cross and what God had intended. Jesus has emphasized a lowly life throughout his ministry. Remember, Luke chapter 14, he tells you, he tells the disciples, sit at the lowly place at the table and not at the honorable place so that you may be exalted from your lowly place and not uh, humbled from your high place. Or Matthew chapter 20, so the last will be first and the first last. He's shown us throughout his ministry that the lowly are exalted. So we're seeing the groundwork laid out for us. So we might expect such a path through the cross. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a direct correlation here. God is glorifying Jesus because he was obedient to the point of dying the lowliest death he could. That path was the path to glory. He took on a lowly form. He lived a lowly life. He died a lowly death. Jesus took on the absolute lowest place on earth that he ever could. That was the necessary path to glory. Even in our world today, let's ask the question, can there be glory without hardship? Can you find glory in your life today without going through some adversity and overcoming something? I would say no. Every time we see someone lifted up and exalted, it's because they've overcome, they've achieved, they have fought and battled against failure in this life and reached for something greater. We know that. Even in our world today, glory is there when someone overcomes, when they endure. And Jesus overcame the worst enemy of them all. Sin and death were defeated through him on the cross, and he showed us the ultimate glory by overcoming the ultimate difficulty. That's what we see in the cross. I like this quote to show us this path of glory. There is in God's mind a path to glory for His Son. And this path was a painful, humiliating death by crucifixion. It was the depth of the suffering, it was the public shame of the cross that He endured that was the lowest point that He had to reach for God to reward Him with the highest office of lordship as a redeemer. Perhaps it was said best in the book of Revelation, where the angels are singing, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Because of the cross, because of the ultimate lowliness that Jesus had chosen to take on for himself, he is glorified. And he has met God's plan for Jesus by reaching in and saving us in the way that he did. All we can say at this point is, wow, what a Lord and Savior we have through Jesus Christ on the cross. He has saved us. He has been glorified. He has been magnified and exalted because he went through the hardest thing there was. So how do we grow in faith towards that? How do we take what God has done in the most perfect sacrifice ever given and grow in faith? Well, we grow in faith by responding to the cross. As Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In order for us to respond in faith to the cross, for us to grow in faith to the cross, we have to respond in kind. We've seen the humility of Jesus. 
what he was willing to give and do so that we might be saved, we've got that same calling in front of us, don't we? We have to be lowly. Remember, that was the message of Paul in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The standard that Christ held in humility on the cross is the standard for us in humility in our lives. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples as he faced death. What can you do to serve others in humility? Because we aren't living for ourselves. We're going to take the humble life of Jesus and learn from it, and that will change how we live. The cross is a high calling for us to grow in faith. We have to love like Jesus did. We read 1 John chapter 4. The next verse says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love each other. The love Jesus showed to us on the cross is the standard for how we show love to one another. We have a high calling in the cross, don't we? And that's, you know, amazing because the love of Jesus is not some distant idea for us to admire. It is something that we have experienced ourselves as we approach Jesus Christ. And it is something that we are called now to show to others. The love of Jesus has made it into all our relationships. The cross is in our marriages. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And after detailing how Jesus submitted himself on the cross, Peter says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, like Christ was on the cross. We have a high calling in how we live because of the cross. And maybe the hardest thing that Jesus ever asked us to do is this, You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 5. The cross is a high calling. Jesus has given us the highest calling there is through the cross that we might respond to it in faith. And finally, Jesus has given us the highest hope we could have in the cross too. Because Jesus has been glorified as a result of the cross, yes. But so have we. We have received glory as a result. The cross changes our hope. We've talked a lot about how it causes us to be forgiven of our sins. And the cross changes our eternity. So it changes how we think about our lives. We are a changed people. New people because of the cross. Our eternity is changed because of the cross. Glory instead of death. If we don't respond to the cross by living like Jesus on the cross, we aren't living in faith towards the cross. Don't you want to grow in faith towards the cross? If that's the goal we're going towards, it's glorification in heaven as people who belong to Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me.
The cross is our greatest blessing. And so today we need to commit to grow in our trust in it. That we are saved by the blood of Jesus that has been shed on that cross. That our lives have been changed because of the cross. And even our hope is different because of the cross. And you know, when the calling is as high and as perfect as the cross, maybe the best blessing of all is the cross answers for our shortcomings. That He takes our imperfections and in grace makes us His people when we respond in faith. So I challenge you this morning. Grow in faith towards the cross. Live like Jesus did. Love like Jesus did. Serve like Jesus did. We've got a great Lord in front of us that has changed everything for us forever. So we need to live in faith towards that great cross of Jesus Christ. So today, have you come to the cross looking for salvation? Have you been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, today you can be. You can repent of your sins and be baptized into Jesus Christ as His salvation is here for you today. You can make your life right and have faith in the cross for your salvation. Or if you've struggled in your life to keep your faith in the cross, to continue to live like Jesus, we can make that right today. We're going to sing a song that will help us to do that. We just ask that you come as we stand and sing.